Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the Casual Tryhard Podcast. I'm Brian. And I'm James. And this week we're going like big, overarching, leveling the battlefield game magic theory as a topic. Yeah, like this was when we first started doing this show, like almost two years ago now. Is that right? Like 18 months, yeah. Yeah, a long time ago. Uh, This was the show that I wanted to do way back then. And it's kind of a whole lot of behind the scenes work to get it done because I had to pull pull from a whole bunch of really old articles to do it. But I'm excited about this one. Okay. And then we're going to put it to work later on. Yes. So if you want to get at us on Twitter, you can tweet at us at Casual Tripod. Yep. You can hit us up on Facebook at Casual Tryhard MTG. You can also shoot us an email at show at casualtryhardmtg.com. Uh, check our email pretty frequently, so feel free to drop us a line there. Uh, don't forget, if you're looking to pick up any singles, use our TCG player affiliate link, tcg.casualtryhardmtg.com. Anything you order after following that link will get a small percentage of to help keep the show going, so make sure you're using that if you're buying singles. If you want to support us a little bit more directly, you can do that at patreon.com slash casualtryhardmtg. Our patrons get early access to show notes, and they also get to hear us ramble on about who knows what during our pre-show when we're checking mics and talking about the show or whatever. The uh, pre-show I typically post on Tuesdays. The show notes usually go up Wednesday, uh, right before the show comes out on Thursday. Yeah, so it's all it's all about how quickly I get it uh, processed. <laughs> yep. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel, uh, Casual Tryhard MTG. Right now, it's basically just another place to find the show, but occasionally we do put up some some videos there. When we do our set review for Zendikar, that's where that will post. So you can keep an eye out for that too if you want to follow follow along with us and you know see the cards that we're talking about. And don't forget that we have a Discord channel. The uh, link should be pinned on Twitter, uh, on our Facebook page. If you can't find it, let us know. We'll shoot you a, a copy of the link. Um, there's probably a link in the show description. Uh, we had some pretty good conversations in there this week, so kind of excited that it uh, seems to be doing well. Yes. So make sure you check that out. So, like I said, this is going to be kind of a, a big show. Mm-hmm. It was kind of under the, the heading of card evaluations and like learning how to do that. But the yeah. first thing that I think we're going to end up doing is kind of talking about the the basic like structure of the game of magic not from like how a turn's put together but like right. how you win games slash like accrue advantage mm-hmm. in like the biggest way possible and right. then once we hopefully give everyone like a framework or a grasp on that we can then move on to like looking at how cards fit into this like construct that we've made hopefully yeah, I don't know if we're going to get through all of this in one show, so this will likely spill over till next week, and then we'll kind of finish this whole thing off by evaluating some new Zendikar cards in our uh, set review, so kind of overview for the next three weeks. Yeah, so the first thing we're going to talk about is one of the early attempts to kind of summarize and like wrap up magic and that mm-hmm. is something called the philosophy of fire. Yeah, this was an old article by Mike Flores. And a lot of these come from kind of understanding what a card is worth. 
And the easiest way to do that is by relating it to like red deck wins, because that's a deck that typically everybody has some amount of experience with. And the cards are simple for lack of a better term. And Um, for the most part, interchangeable. Right. Yeah. So it's easy. It's easier to apply principles to those and then kind of expand from there than it is to, you know, pick some obscure, obscure card and, you know, trying to find out how it works. Um, so you're going to hear us reference some like red deck wind style cards a lot. Basically, uh, Mike Flores breaks down the game into, or breaks down what your cards are worth into three different categories. One of them is that one of the cards in your hand is worth one of the cards in your opponent's hand. So this is like a one for one removal spell, right? Yeah. Um, so the like, term like trading one for one, you're trading one of your cards for one of your opponents. Yeah. Like if you heartless act your opponent's creature, you traded one of your cards for one of their cards. If you cast a duress, you're trading a card in your hand for a card in your opponent's hand. Yes. The second thing is that access to more cards out of your deck is worth some portion of your life total. So if you can gain the extra resource of a card out of your deck, you should be willing to you know, pay some amount of life for that. Um, we've had a whole bunch of examples of this over the years. Dark Confidant is one. This article references Necropotence, which is like the old school way of doing that. Sign in Blood is another one where you are trading your life for cards out of your library. Sign in Blood um, is th- black, black, scry two, draw two, or just black, black, draw two? Uh, pay two life, draw two cards. Okay. Yep. And uh, like Treacherous, Treacherous Blessing is like the newest version of this card where it's two and a black for the enchantment that you draw three cards and then every time you cast a spell, you lose a life. Yeah. That's Treacherous Blessing, right? I probably should yes. have looked that up. That is, that is. We're real close to it. Yeah. So this is just kind of the idea that, you know, cards out of your library are worth a portion of your life total. And there's a lot of decks that they are worth all but your last life point. Like yeah, think about the, um like ad nauseum three that's black what I was just gonna say. Three black black reveal reveal cards off the top of your library and take damage equal to each card's converted mana cost and you can you just keep going till you want to stop. And yep. people will just go until they have like, it's like, well, I have six life. I know I have two five drops in my deck. I guess I should stop now. But yep. they will just go till they are at the like point of, okay, I can lose if I go any further. Right. Yep. Yeah. You're willing to pay almost any amount of life for resources. Greatness at any cost, right? That's right. <laughs> and then the last thing that he outlines in this article is that uh, one of your cards is worth some portion of your opponent's life total. Now, this is kind of where it relates back to like Red Deck Wins, where like Lightning Bolt is that one card in your hand, the Lightning Bolt, is worth three points of your opponent's life total. So these are these are ways to kind of identify, you can break it down and say like what what the card is worth by looking at it in these terms. Like you can say that if you're comparing shock and lightning bolt, if your measure is one card is worth three life points versus one card being worth two life points, like obviously that that's not as good, right? It's just yeah. kind of a way to measure things. And Same thing. Also, another way you can think about it is 
the shock trades for less of your opponent's creatures than the lightning yep. bolt does. Mm -hmm. That as well. It's the same way with uh, like trading your life for additional cards also. Like Sign and Blood probably isn't as good as like Necropotence because you're trading, you know, two life for two cards with a one card in initial investment versus Necropotence where you can trade, you know, six life for six cards with the same one card investment. Uh, so for everyone who's not a dinosaur, see if I remember, no, Necro right. Necropotence <laughs> is black, black, black for yep. enchantment mm -hmm. and you skip your draw step. Yep. And then you can pay uh, one life. One life to draw a card. Uh, well, no, you don't. You don't just oh, draw a card. You like set it aside and you put them in your hand at the end of the turn, right, right at the end of your turn. Yep. So like people will like play Necropotence and then pay like eight life or nine life to get the best like seven card hand they ha can to then mm -hmm. try to kill you on your turn or on the following turn. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, if you've ever heard of the, the phrase combo winter, mm -hmm. that was when like, you had Necropotence and in me Memory Jar and Talarian mm -hmm. Academy from uh, like or the Saga, the yeah. Saga block. So Necro played a uh, part in that, I do believe. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, being able to trade, like that's why like Gitaxium Probe. Like, mm -hmm. pay two life, look at your opponent's hand, and draw a card. Mm -hmm. Right? Two life for a card is probably mm -hmm. fine. But mm -hmm. then tacking the, like, see your opponent's hand was too good. Right. So, and, like, two life... But, I mean, season. like, just paying two life for a peak isn't good enough either, though. That's what I was going to say. Exactly. Like, yeah. Like, the combination of, like, two life draw a card is probably fine. Like, Street Wraith is... Mm -hmm. fine not great but fine but no, like, i mean it certainly plays a role in the decks that want it though it does but what i mean is like it's not banned in every format right where gataxian probe is banned in every format right because it counts as casting a spell and all this stuff so yep. like two like one life for a card is like probably above rate or like just the right rate mm-hmm with no other effect on it, two life for a card is probably maybe too much. Mm -hmm. So it's like somewhere in there, a card that you draw, typically you're willing to pay like a life for. Right. And like you guys have probably heard us like evaluate cards this way also during spoiler seasons or whatever. We'll talk about, you know, would you pay three mana for a draw card? No, probably not. Would you pay three mana for draw a card put an extra land into play well no that's just kind of a worse worse explore but then you add three life and then you add the ability to cast it out of your graveyard and you know all of a good. sudden you got you got a broken magic card well i mean cultivate is kind of draw draw land put it like draw two lands put one in the play so i guess it's draw two mm -hmm. is yeah. cultivate but yeah, yeah like it's like all the little things like there are all these knobs that get turned on magic cards and mm -hmm. if you turn one knob a little too far, one way or the other, it takes it from like playable to busted. And that right. sometimes is a really fine line. Mm -hmm. Like Gitaxium Probe at just two life draw card is playable but not busted. But then the the version where it's like kind of everything, peak mm -hmm. and draw a card, 
for two life is too much. Yep. So this was kind of the philosophy of fire was kind of the, uh, kind of the first attempt to think about like what a card is worth. Mm -hmm. And I think people who play mono red still kind of adhere to the philosophy of fire, at least the, the third part of it where they look at it as like each card in my deck is worth so many of your life points. Like my goal is to cast no more than seven spells Mm -hmm. and have you dead. And like, ideally I cast six spells and I kill you so I can kill you uh, on turn three. Yeah. I mean, that's how, I mean, it's not currently built that way, but that's how modern burn used to be. You would look at your opening hand and say, okay, I've got 18 points in my hand. I'm assuming my appointment, my opponent's going to do two points to themselves, you know, given no other circumstances, I have them dead in my hand. Yeah, I have them dead in my hand, or I have, you know, 15 points, but, I ha- but I'm but i hoping to draw, you know, five points worth of burn off the top of my deck. Right. And all of my cards are one mana deal threes. Right. Like, that's why creatures were so valuable in that deck. A lot of burn players wouldn't keep an opening hand unless it had a creature in it. Yeah. Because a goblin guide is often worth four damage or six or damage. Six. Yeah. And so it like goblin guide kind of draws you a card mm-hmm. because it, when it deals at six damage, that's one less card you had to cast. Right. To get you uh, to get them dead. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing was just looking at it as cards are worth your opponent's cards, some portion of your life or your opponent's life. Yep. Like I said, that was like one of the very first articles that attempted to understand, you know, kind of the base game theory, I guess is a way to say it. But like actual what the cards do, like break the game down into resources. Yeah. And then not long after that, Zvi Mauschwitz wrote an article called The Grand Unifying Theory that kind of expanded on what Mike Flores had said. And he basically said that the lightning bolt where you have one red mana deals three damage to an opponent or three damage to a creature. That meant that not only is the card worth three or not only is a card worth three of your opponent's life points or a creature card, but that one red mana had a value in that also. Gotcha. Okay. So this kind of, like they didn't call it tempo at the time, but this kind of like rolls into, I I remember we did one episode kind of talking about tempo a little bit, and this kind of builds into the idea of gaining tempo. This is, so you'll hear a lot, especially uh, like in current, like standard that mm -hmm. let's say Aether Gust trades up on mana, right? Right. The reason you can't play or it's hard to play five mana and six mana do nothing like green spells, just big sorcery speed, tap out green stuff. Elder Gargaroth. Elder Elder Gargaroth is because your opponent can, you tap five mana and your opponent taps two Mm -hmm. and they take care of in air quotes, your elder Gargaroth for a turn. Like you get to redraw that card, but you're burning a draw step. So like they're still trading one for one. Right, because mm-hmm. they traded the card you would have drawn for the card right. you just played, but they're eating five of your mana for two, so they right. got to make a three mana play, 
mm-hmm. and then still have two mana left over to do something. So mm-hmm. this is similar that that one red mana is a cost that you could have used that one red mana for something else. Mm-hmm. But if you trade that one mana for a three mana creature, you're in mm-hmm. a better position than your opponent because you had extra mana that you could have done something else and they used all three of their mana. Yeah. I kind of came up with a scenario back to relating it to red deck wins where if you spent two mana on your turn to cast like a runaway steamkin, okay, you still made reasonable use of your third turn and you left one red mana up and your opponent casts, you know, some three mana creature with three toughness. Uh, like, was it Garrick's Harbringer? Is yeah. like the, the new thing, one green green for a four three? Yes. If you, you know, kill that with your lightning bolt, you didn't just trade your lightning bolt for their Garrick's Harbringer, you also ate their whole turn. So on your turn, you got to progress your board by playing your runaway steamkin. And then you killed their thing with your leftover mana, whereas they spent their entire turn to cast that thing that you just killed for one mana. Yeah. So it's, again, it's the idea of you traded one mana for three. Yeah. Like you'll hear about having to needing to get to a point in the game where you can start double spelling. Mm-hmm. And like that's why cheap spells that are really functional are so important because it lets right. you develop your board plus interact right. or filter your next draw plus you know, play a creature or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. But getting to do two things a turn because you're using your mana efficiently is really important. And when you can make mm-hmm. your opponent use their mana either in an unefficient, inefficient way or. Mm-hmm in a way that like you know can benefit you is really important yeah there's a certain value to your untap step and basically what you're doing in this scenario is you're trading the one card in your hand for the one card in your opponent's hand but you're also taking away their untap step yeah so this is where I know we've said it before, maybe explained it. The the concept you might hear someone say like, "Oh, then they time, then I time walk them." Yeah. Meaning that you basically you invalidated their entire turn. Right. Right. So, like, this is why we don't get counter spell in standard mm-hmm. because, like, two mana for take care of whatever your opponent did is too powerful because they go f- because. Again, they spent five mana and you spent two. Right. And like that's just, it's too easy to hold up two mana to just randomly mm-hmm. have two mana. It's yeah. a lot harder to randomly have three mana in the early part of the game. So mm-hmm. that's why three mana counter spells are what we get in standard because, mm-hmm. right, having to hold up three mana is a cost because you're not getting to do something else. Because the odds of you, right. you know, it's turn five, you want to play, you know, you'd rather play a three drop and hold up two mana that you might not get to use than yeah. play a two drop and then hold up three mana you might not get to use, right? Mm-hmm. It's, there's a way greater cost to you burning that three mana than there right. is to you burning the two mana if you don't get to cast your counter spell. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the reasons why it's kind of relevant now because we just got it edited into historic, but that's why... Um... So hieroglyph- hieroglyphic illumination, yeah, was a playable card. Like 
a four mana draw two isn't you know particularly exciting, but it cycles for a mana. So if you have a turn where you know you have an extra mana kicking around, it's worth something to do something with that mana, even if it's just trade it for another card. You know what I mean? Yeah, just get rid of it and get a little bit deeper in your deck. Yeah. Wait, and you you know that um, four mana draw two isn't good enough if you look at all the versions of that card we've had recently. There's well, um, I mean, Glimmer there, Supply. Well, yeah, but Glimmer was four mana. Uh, draw, draw two, two gets two energy. Did you scry? Was it scry two, draw two? Oh, was it? I thought it was just draw two, get two energy. I thought it was scry two, draw two. I was going to like, mm. but they always, maybe maybe there was a get two energy one, but they always have to tack something extra onto yeah. that card, right? Yep. Because uh, Inspiration which was the first right. version of this card from Visions. I'm old. Um, <laughs> right, that card is like not even playable and limited now. They have to tack something else on it. And Yeah, yeah you're, you're right. That's scry two, draw two, get two energy. Yeah. yeah. They didn't know how much energy was worth. <laughs> but uh, Hieroglyphic Illumination had like the flexibility, that extra mode. So right. like being able to trade a mana for a card was worth is worthwhile Mm -hmm. and this was also part of the problem with big teferi right the five mana teferi that really cost three mana that's exactly the thing is you you know you spent your five mana to cast teferi and then you got to draw a card and then you also had two mana left over to protect them on your opponent's turn yeah so it was really kind of a three mana planeswalker because it didn't like leave you tapped out you mm-hmm. can hold up negate or Dovin's veto or whatever two mana interaction seal away that yeah. you needed to ho- hold up to protect your Teferi. So yeah, like anything that like this, the grand unifying theory takes into account the mana cost of things, mm-hmm. right? The, the philosophy of fire was here's how much a card is worth relative to other cards in life. Yeah. But then the grand unifying theory was, hey, you had to spend some amount of resource on that card. Right. Right. Not just the card itself was spent, but mana. So there was an opportunity cost. You could have done something else with that mana. Mm-hmm. And it, yep. so that's why, again, like the idea of trading up is something that comes up all the time. Like if you listen to uh, the game, I guess it's the Arena Deckless podcast now, right? They mm-hmm. constantly talk about, well, you need, well, you can't play that because they trade up your opponent trades up on mana for with this yeah. card or that card. Like, which is why like mystical dispute gets played so much. Cause it's one mana. Yeah. Eat anything mm-hmm. like eat any blue spell. And it's just like, Oh no, I just like lost. Like you feel like you've lost the game and you may have lost the game. If you tap out for something and they pay one mana to counter it. Right. Or and then tap three in their, uh, as content to you know look at the top four cards and draw a card Mm -hmm. and that's also why we don't get one mana removal yeah in like standard anymore because the you tap four mana and play like a four four you play your questing Mm -hmm. beast like and then your opponent pays one mana and plays path to exile or like swords to plowshares right right where then it's just like oh no Yep. This was awful. 
Well, I mean, we did get Fatal Push not that long ago. We did get Fatal Push, like, we say not that long ago, but isn't it like four years ago now? No, really? Yeah, Aether Revolt was a long time, like, was a long time ago, I think. Oh, you're making me feel old, buddy. I think. I might be wrong. Maybe it was three years. I've got a Google lot of will tell us. I've got a lot of boxes of cards between yeah. Kaladesh, Aether Revolt, and now. January twentieth, twenty seventeen. Three years ago. So three years. Okay. So not I mean, that it's not bad. that long ago. But I mean, even it's conditional, right? Like yeah. in its default mode, you get to trade up one mana. Mm-hmm. Right? It's you know, it's different than something like like you have to do a little bit of work to make it trade. Yeah. Uh like trade up like three mana they get a four drop but that's mm-hmm. but the the idea of being mana efficient and using all of your mana right is kind of exemplified by this because every mana you don't use has a cost just like yeah, every you mana you to, just like you every mana you, yeah like yeah. the the idea that your mana spoils each turn and just mm-hmm. like every every mana that you spend could have been spent doing something else so you want to yep. do the most impactful thing for each mana that you spend in addition to each card that you spend. Mm-hmm. That's a, I mean, it's one of the reasons why like, you know, boomer magic or like Jund is a deck. You know what I mean? It's all these very efficient cards that let you double spell multiple turns in a row early in the game and don't leave you dead. Yeah. You get to go like a piece of interaction, a threat, another piece of interaction, like, mm-hmm. you know, and then another threat across your first like three turns. Like you've played four or five spells in your first three turns. You've mm-hmm. neutralized two to three of your opponent's threats. Yeah. And you have a threat or two of your own. Mm-hmm. All for like six mana total. Mm-hmm. And like that again, that's why that works is you like you squeeze the resources trading one for one. And then you just have better cards to draw later in the game. Yep. So yeah, but like you're not you're not relying on like the philosophy of fire as much as you are the grand unifying theory, because you're like you're able to capitalize on or your interaction being less expensive than your opponent's threat. Yeah. So you know a you know your opponent plays a three drop and you play a terminate. So you traded mm-hmm. two mana for three, yep. and then the next turn you like play a two mana Tarmogoyf and you have one mana up and then maybe again, they play another three drop and you have a lightning bolt to take care of that. Mm-hmm. So now you've got your threat plus uh, you've dealt with their threat. And now you can like kind of turn the corner and start being aggressive. Yeah. And like it works both ways also though, you know, if you thought sees your opponent on turn two and you take their only two drop and all they have is three drops, you, you gained a turn from them. You know what I mean? They're going to play their land and pass because they don't have anything to do. Yeah. So after that, we have uh, the theory of everything, which I feel like is a Stephen Hawking book. It was something. I don't remember what he's, Oh, was it Carl Sagan? Was it Carl? Maybe it was Carl Sagan. He he took it. He did take it from somebody. And this is by Patrick Chapin, who for a long time was, you know, one of the great minds behind the game as far as, you know, deck building and competitive play and everything. Um, uh, it was Stephen Hawking, and it was, was it Stephen Hawking? also the name of the movie about him in 2014. Oh, okay. 
There we go. There you go. You found it. I feel like um, I read that book, but okay. No, I did not. <laughs> so what Patrick did was he wanted to kind of take all of this information that Zvi and Mike Flores had been working on and kind of lump it all together in one place and add some of his own thoughts behind it. So he came up with this great big theory kind of all about exactly what we're trying to get to here is what a card is worth. And he basically breaks it down into like three building blocks. So the building blocks are resources that you have in the game of magic. The first one is resources that you begin the game with, but do not gain naturally over time. And this is basically what the philosophy of fire was saying. This includes the ability to continue the game. So that's either having life total still or having cards in your library so you can continue to draw and not lose or not having poison and, you know, still being able to to continue playing the game. This is very much, you know, relates back to that necropotence thing from the philosophy of fire where kind of the only life point that matters is your last one. It doesn't matter how you get there. As long as you still have a life point, you can still continue to play the game. Yeah, you're kind of trading resources, cards, and your life to take all of your opponent's life. You don't really kind of care. It doesn't have to be pretty or efficient all the time. It just Mm -hmm. has to get them dead. Right. The second building block is resources that you gain naturally over time, but don't start the game with. And this is where the... Was it unifying theory? Yeah. Uh, Comes into play where we're talking about tempo. Um, These are things like your untapped steps, your land drops, your attack steps, things that you don't have when you start your game of magic, but you get naturally every turn. You can either exploit parts of your turn or take parts of your opponent's turn away to unnaturally gain these things also. Uh, like we had mentioned, if you you know spend one mana to take care of your opponent's three mana threat on turn three, and you were able to use that two mana, you have basically gained an extra untapped step through denying your opponent one. And a lot of times decks that want to have be tempo positive, that taking care of your opponent's creature might mm-hmm. not be killing it. It might be something as right. simple as like an unsummon. Where mm-hmm. you've invalidated their untap their untap step because they used all their mana and you used one to bounce their thing, right. so now you get an extra untap step. You kind of mm-hmm. know what they're gonna do the next turn because they're gonna replay maybe replay that same spell. So now you can prepare to know how to deal with it. But right. you you traded you didn't even trade a card for a card. Unsummon mm-hmm. trades a card for their mana. For that right. turn, you trade. You're like, I'm willing to pay a card for your three mana. Mm-hmm. And if you already have like a threat on board, that is sometimes enough of an impact that mm-hmm. uh, it can, you know, it can allow you to like get a grip in the game and like start to snowball. Where now you're getting more cards and draw steps. Right. This is kind of why Brazen Barrow was a good card, right? Yeah. Well, it's unsummon that draws you a card. Yeah. So like it is the classic tempo play of 
you play a three or a four mana thing, I'll pay two mana to put it back in your hand. But then it also becomes like a creature. Mm -hmm. So it kind of, it's tempo plus it's also card advantage, which we'll talk about here in a second. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Are you ready to talk about that now? We We can talk about card advantage. Sure. So what's the next one? Uh, These are resources that you begin the game with and you gain naturally over time. And there's two different things to think about here, and that's card advantage and card economy. So card advantage is going above and beyond what your card can do. So if your one card can trade for one of your opponent's card, that's like base level, right? Yeah. Card advantage is if one of your cards can trade for two of your opponent's cards. Or if one of your cards can get you two cards. Yeah, so basically it's trying to just see more cards than your opponent. Because the more cards you see, the more just raw resources you have. And the more resources you have, the better you should be able to turn those resources into a victory. Yeah, I mean, it's not just seeing more cards, though. I mean, if you if you cast a Wrath of God and kill, you know, three of your opponent's creatures, that's Fair. still card advantage. Yeah, it is. Uh, like, you know, if you think about it, like, if you cast a Wrath of God, when you, like, after you cast a Wrath of God, if you look at, count the cards in your hand and count the cards in your opponent's hand, you're going to have more resources than your opponent. Right? right? The resource you might be lower on is life, but that mm-hmm. resource... You know, and I think in all of these, your last life point is the only one that truly matters. Mm -hmm. Right. So like as a control player, a lot of times they have to go to like two or three before they can like rest control of the game away. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why that uh, Azorius control deck back in like RTR Theros standard was so good because it uh, elixir of immortality like bought you the time where you could go down to one life and then all of a sudden be back up at five life plus put all of the spells that you've you know utilized already back into your deck to use again so elixir of mortality was immortality was it one mana for an artifact that you tap sack gain five life and then shuffle your graveyard into your uh back into your library library. but like elixir shuffled itself back in as well yes so, like, they could win the game through decking you mm-hmm. or just making you quit. I think they right. basically those were the only ways they could win. <laughs> like, I don't think yeah. they... I guess later on they had, like, Big Elspeth, but I think for a yeah. while they just, like... Well, some of them can, played, like, Aetherling too, right? I think. I just remember, like, the games just, like, there was, like, a lot of times there were just no win cons. Yeah. But, yeah, like, you're, you're able to turn... Like, you're turning your cards from into more than one card. So instead of trading one for one, you're trading two for one or three for one. Yep. Right. So cards like, you know, like Hydroid Crisis, Mm -hmm. right. It's like oftentimes a, it's a three for one and it's like worst case most of the time. Right. Where it's like, it's a four, four that drew you two cards. Right. And then it's still a card. And then it's still a card that has to be traded with a card from your opponent's hand. Right. So, right, like that is a, that's a three for one. That is a, that is card advantage. That is a creature and then the two cards that came along into your hand. Yep. 
right? So that's card advantage, just like yeah. getting raw a, numbers. Raw numbers, either one of your cards eating multiples of your opponent's cards, mm-hmm. or one of one of your cards getting you more resources so that you can trade them one for one. Yep, like like we said, divination is plus one card advantage. You are up a card. This is why, like Chemistry's Insight, yeah, right is. It was plus one card on the front end mm-hmm. and then still plus one card on the back end. So it was one right. card that for a lot of mana, but you could spread it out, was actually plus two cards. Right. It was like eight well, mana plus two cards. I mean, it was it was worth slightly more than plus two cards, though, because you're discarding whatever your worst card is at the time, which is probably worth less than a card. Yeah, like your 15th land doesn't yeah. matter. You'll get the job done with 14, so you're going to trade that 15th land for hopefully two good cards. Something land. Yes. Two spells, just any spells at that point. Yep. And that kind of relates to what we're going to talk about next, which is card economy, which is a little bit different from card advantage. Card economy is more about the quality of the card. Like at a base level, a Tarmogoyf is a better card than a Grizzly Bear. Yeah, and so... This is going back to your Jund example. Mm-hmm. Jund is not a card advantage deck. Right. It is a card economy deck. Mm-hmm. Every card in the deck is really good. Your goal is to run your opponent out of resources so that you're both drawing one resource a turn. Mm-hmm. And your hope is, is that your one resource is better than the one resource they drew. Yeah. We can kind of relate this to card advantage. So if every card in your deck is worth 1.2 cards and every card in your opponent's deck is worth one card, you know, it might take you 10 of your cards to equal a two for one, but eventually you're going to get there. Yeah. And your cards will just be worth more than your opponent's. So like the idea of your card being worth more than a card, like in a fractional sense, going Mm -hmm. back to Tarmogoyf, like, kind of the established rate like what you can expect to pay what if you pay two mana what you expect to get Mm -hmm. has changed a little over the years but it's probably somewhere around it's somewhere around like now like a two two anywhere from a three two to a two three somewhere in there Mm -hmm. with an ability This is the world we live in. Right. So, for example, like, Gifted Aetherborn is black-black, so it's harder to cast, but it's a 2-3 with Lifelink and Death Touch. Right. Right? Or you have Glint Sleeve Siphoner, Mm -hmm. one in a a black for a 2-1, and when it attacks, you get energy, and then you can spend two energy to draw a card. Right. Uh, Right. Like, the baseline card used to be a Grizzly Bear, one one in a green for a 2-2. Right. Even on the like kind of new scale of two drop creatures, right? Mm-hmm. A Tarmogoyf that is two mana for a three four or a right. four five is right. still like above rate. It's better than what your opponent's two drops are typically going to be. Absolutely. So then that puts you ahead. You spent two mana and got something that was above rate, better than the average two drop. Mm-hmm. And then your opponent spent two mana and hopefully got like a, an average two drop. So now you're ahead 
because your two drop is better than theirs. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you can also think like to get rid of your two drop, they would have to invest maybe two cards. Yeah. So that's how you can think about it as being like ahead because maybe they have the fatal push and just kill it outright, but maybe they have to block and then spend a lightning bolt to kill it. Mm -hmm. So now it's, eaten two of their cards so some percentage of the time they just one for one it but then some percentage of the time they two for one themselves yep. to get rid of it yeah so yeah like this is why um jund has problems with tron because <laughs> yeah <laughs> because jund is drawing you know two mana four fives and tron is tapping three lands and playing seven mana planeswalkers Right. right, their their card quality in uh in Tron is just so much better than the card quality in Jund. Yeah, a six mana six six that dies into two three threes yes. is uh, pr- pretty tough to deal with when you're trying to one for one your opponent. Exactly. So, like you know, decks that are just built on having purely the best cards, having the best mm-hmm. card economy. Right, that's that's why those matchups can skew the way that they do because Tron is built to have the mana to cast the best possible cards for tapping three lands. Right, and Jund is built to play the best cards you can tap. Or you can play when you tap two, tap three lands, and get three mana. Mm-hmm. So then you lose because you're playing three mana stuff and they're playing seven mana stuff. Yeah, so it's tough. it's tough (laughs) didn't mean to make you sad there but that was the no that's fine something you expect when you're a john player is you just to hear about tron Tron, so yeah it's fine so you have the the philosophy of of fire where you're like trading resources that you start the game with but but that you don't actually gain right right? without you know without taking some action without doing something you don't gain life from doing nothing you have to spend a card for that yeah you don't put cards back in your deck for taking your turn you don't heal poison over time yeah right so then so you have that and then you have tempo which is basically trying to maximize kind of the 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 game actions that are built into the game right Mm -hmm. it's maximizing untap steps and maximizing draw steps Right. Yeah, or, or denying them from your opponent. Exactly. Like it, it works both ways. Exactly. Getting the most out of each of the built-in game mechanics. Right. right. Again, like Delver, right? It's a one mm-hmm. mana it's a one mana three two. Right. Right. So that is maximizing your attack steps, right? You've spent the least amount of mana possible, one mm-hmm. mana, not counting like Memnite, uh, to <laughs> to get the best creature you possibly can for your one mana. Yeah. So then that's going to maximize each of your attack steps. Like if it flips on turn two, mm-hmm. now you have a three, two attacking starting on turn two. Right. Right. And that's the best possible thing you can have attacking on turn two. Mm-hmm. And that's also why Delver plays things like days and force of will, where you've gained so much tempo by use of very efficient threats that you are kind of willing to give some of it away by, you know, setting yourself back a land drop in the case of days or, you know, getting rid of a card in your hand in the case of force of will. And wastelands the same way. 
Yeah. Yep. Are you willing to give up a land drop to keep your opponent from developing? Yeah, so or some, keep them from answering your your, your one mana threat. Right. So that's why you hear it like, you know, like you're not supposed to wasteland your opponent unless you have a threat. Mm-hmm. Right. There are, you know, caveats to that, but it's like you don't want to put yourself behind. Right. If if they could then just like keep playing and then you can't utilize the fact that you put them behind a land. Right. Right. Like you don't want to just be like, haha, we both have no land. Right. You didn't do anything. Like basically the game has just, you've just started the game over, mm-hmm. but like you're down a card. Right. And didn't do anything where it would be much better to play your threat. And then the next turn, wasteland them now you have a clock that they have to deal with and you've like constrained their mana yep makes a lot of sense right and then the last thing is card economy or card advantage right just being well, yeah to... they kind of go hand in hand but yeah. the, it is important to note that they're different things but just being able to get more out of your cards than your opponent gets out of their cards either in like right. raw numbers of cards or in quality of card yep right yep so they're both kind of thing so it doesn't really a hundred percent answer what a card's worth because it really depends on what kind of game you're playing because a temp a player who is interested in card economy right Mm -hmm. is never going to go one mana lightning bolt your face right right because that three life isn't worth a card to them Right. Right. Whereas someone who's playing burn, that's all their card is worth to them, right? In their strategy Mm -hmm. is, or most of its worth is one mana deal three. But for a control player, it's one mana kill a creature. And then some long way down the road, when you have no creatures anymore, then it becomes worth three Three damage. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the same way in Jun, too. Like, you're not going to bolt somebody if they're at 18. You're going to hold it up for a creature. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, you know, what a card is worth really depends on, like, how you're, like, how you're playing. Mm-hmm. Right? And, like, similar, like, in a tempo deck, that lightning bolt is probably more important as a tempo play to deal with a threat, you know, eat their turn. And then there mm-hmm. comes a point where you kind of flip the script, and now that's worth, like... Like, they're at 12, and you're like, bolt, untap, bolt, attack you. Right. And win the game like that. So, like, mm-hmm. you, you have to recognize when when the, the value switches from being a thing that's worth a card to being three life. Yeah, and, the, like, sideboarding kind of plays a role in this, too. Um, whereas, like, depending on the matchup that you're in, your cards can change value drastically, right? Yeah, right. There are, like, you know, you have... I guess the the best example of this is like you have removal spells against a deck that has no creatures, mm-hmm. right? Your removal spells are literally worth nothing. Well, I mean they're worth less than nothing. Yeah, like they they have eaten a draw you step. A card out of your deck, yeah, yeah, they've eaten a draw step. Where then you play against someone who's playing like mono white, and yeah. all you want to draw is your removal spells, right. because you know a lot of times in mono white. Their creatures are maybe above rate on their own, but they're definitely above rate as they work together. Yeah. I, so uh, I kind of have a really good example of this. Okay. Um, 
just from yesterday. I was playing uh, that Rectos Pyromancer deck that I was telling you about. And I had the only deck that I had lost to in like six hours of playing was Goblins. So what I did was I just played all of my removal spells. I had like seven different removal spells in my sideboard, like a Braids, Magma Sprays, you know, whatever. And I just took out all the stuff that, you know, I wasn't going to get to if I was dead, like the Call of the Death Dweller and some of the Claim to Fames and that kind of stuff. And I just played all of my removal spells and made it so that their deck just didn't function because I just killed everything. And then, you know, eventually my removal spells would turn into a 1-1 when I stuck a Pyromancer and I'd win that way. Yeah. You mentioned something there that might have slid by some people, which you said like, cards that i wouldn't get to when i was dead yeah so, oh yeah this is a I, i'm glad you brought this up this is a good thing to talk about that so, i didn't even have in our notes mono red players like the yeah. the the p sellies the patrick sullivan's of the world yeah. talk about mono red's version of card advantage is right. how many cards are in your opponent's hand when they're dead right right and so, this kind of relates to tempo too yeah so if you shorten if you shorten the game somehow Mm-hmm. where you don't give your opponent the time to use their cards, mm-hmm. right? People can look at that sometimes as being card advantage. Yeah. You traded your hand or you traded whatever resources you spent for mm-hmm. their life total plus all the cards they had. Right. So there will be times where like tempo or card advantage is the fact that your opponent didn't get to use a card. So the reason tempo decks typically, we talk about them having to have a clock or some sort of threat, Mm -hmm. is you playing an unsummon on their three drop doesn't cost them a card, but if they never get to cast that three drop again, because you were pressuring them in such a way where they could not use that mana that way, where they're like, okay, well, I'll play my four drop, and Mm -hmm. now I'll try to play... A different three drop and okay that got counted on turn five so now i don't have man to play the three drop that got bounced mm-hmm. right if you can end the game without having them played that card you right. are up a card mm-hmm. right but if the game goes so long that they get to redeploy that card right? right they've played all the other cards in their hand and they play that card now you're down a card yeah because they get to reuse that card but if the game ends it doesn't matter that you put that card back in their hand, mm-hmm. which is another reason why Brazen Borrower is good. It's like, bounce your thing. Now I have a clock. Right. Now I have this like evasive three power threat and you might not get to replay that card or you mm-hmm. replaying that card means you didn't get to play another card. Right. So I'm not going to give you time to get that mana back because I'm yep. playing a bunch of one and two mana spells and then I don't get to win the game if you're playing, you know, four consistently four and five mana spells mm-hmm. that get to resolve. Yep. So, exactly. Yeah. So like recognizing when like, oh, I'm not gonna the game's not gonna go long enough for me to play a five drop. Yeah. Okay, well I need to take that five mana spell out of my uh deck and put something in my deck that I will actually get to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this kind of relates to like going big or going small, too, that we have covered on the show before, 
where like after sideboarding, you know, if you're trying to go a little bit bigger than your opponent, you remove some of your early stuff and put in some bigger stuff. Whereas if you're trying to go under your opponent, you remove some of your bigger stuff and concentrate on your, your early stuff. You, you want to make sure that you're maximizing your mana or yep. I guess the other thing is going back to that, like trading, uh, like trading up on mana. You don't yeah. want to, if your opponent's playing a bunch of two mana removal or two mana interaction, yeah. you don't want to like be spending five mana to have it, uh, 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 taken care of with a two mana spell you'd rather make it so you take out your five drops and you put in two and three drops so they're not yeah. getting as much of a mana advantage from mm-hmm. from each play so it still yep. sets you back if they you know bounce your two mana play but if you can play two two drops on turn four you've kind of got that mana back in a sense mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to play one four drop yeah so we've kind of talked about different ways that cards are used and kind of what their value is and you know how it changes. Yeah, and like we had talked a little bit about previously cards that are being worth like slightly more than a card, like you know 1.2 cards or 1.5 cards or whatever. And like now we're going to talk about like how how that works. And, you know, not necessarily, you know, what is worth a portion of a card, but how like smaller pieces can come together to be worth more than a card. Yeah. So the the thing I wanted to talk about that I wanted to bring into this was the idea of the value of cards that are flexible. Yeah. That do more than one thing. And we've Mm -hmm. seen a lot more of that recently. I don't yeah. know if it is just a general change in design or I know when we first started to see a lot of them, it was attributed a lot to like best of one. Yeah. Where, I was just going to say that. Where like, oh, hey, I don't, well, they're not going to play with cyborgs, so they have to have general answers to things, yeah. to a wide range of things. Yep. But there are like cards that are flexible that do a lot of different things mm-hmm. because that's clearly on the card. <laughs> and then there are cards that are f- sneaky flexible. Okay. That you might not read them and read them as like, oh, this card is really flexible. Okay. Right. And like the first example of that is, and it's kind of a apropos with a Zendikar coming, yeah. which are, are modal cards. Right. Cards that have different modes so Mm -hmm. like kicker is kind of the quintessential example there is an argument that everything in magic is just a different form of kicker so (laughs) yeah that is kind of the running joke right yeah so kicker is you pay some additional cost to get an additional or different effect on your card right so what this does is maybe at one mana the card does something but then Mm -hmm. it has a kicker for three mana and now it gets a bonus so there was in dominaria there was a one mana one one with menace for black Mm -hmm. but it had kicker three so and it got two plus one plus one counters okay so it was a one mana one one with menace which is eh but 
it was also a four mana three three with menace, mm-hmm. which is also eh. But the fact that it got to be eh at two different spots made it right. okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So having cards that do that have the ability to do different things, like collective brutality, it's escalate yeah. is the uh is the mechanic there. I couldn't think of what it was called before. Right? Yeah, it's kicker. It's it's kicker, right? It's <laughs> like for collective brutality it's it's escalate discard a card to choose an additional right. mode. It could just say kicker yeah. discard a card, right? Right. But right, that card gets played in modern and legacy because it has effectively different ways it can work depending on what you need it to do. Right. Yep. So it's not always a removal spell. It's not always yep. a discard spell. It's not always a burn spell. It's whichever one of those things or combination of those things yeah. is best for you at that time. Right. Mm-hmm. Against like mono red, sometimes it's better good to just go like I'll pay two mana, discard two cards, kill your thing, drain you for two, so now I have a slightly bigger better life buffer and yep. take a burn spell out of your hand, right? Yep. And you've traded resources, but you feel like you're up on that exchange. And mm-hmm. just, you wouldn't put two mana for duress in your deck. No. but you I mean, a lot of times duress doesn't even make the cut. Yeah. You wouldn't put two mana deal two, gain two. Right. You wouldn't put two mana, neg one, neg one, right? Like duress is one mana. It's um, neg two, neg two, isn't it? It's, yeah, yeah, neg two, neg two. What is the one black disfigure? Disfigure yeah. is neg is one mana for neg two neg two, right? right? But the fact that the card gets to be one of them or both of them mm-hmm. increases its value. It has less times that it's dead. Yeah, it's as a sideboard card. It's more live against different opponents. Right? Yeah, and like the the kicker cost being discarding a card lets you trade up portions of a card as well because if you're you know if you're discarding cards that in this situation this matchup aren't worth a whole card for something that is absolutely worth a whole card in your opponent's hand you're you're gaining fractions of a card for each mode yeah like you're playing against mono red and you have veil of summer in your main deck right you're just like well this just needs to go in the into the trash can, but if you can get a card for it on its way to the trash can. Right. And also collective brutality also has the discarding for value aspect of yeah. it. Right. Right. But like just cards that like have alternate ways to pay or mm-hmm. have different modes that you can use makes them more valuable. Right. Right. Then there's like cards that you might not realize are flexible but Mm -hmm. are just cards that have extra things stapled onto them okay so uro i think Uro's got a lot of stuff stapled to it i think that Uro might even be a bulletin board he might (laughs) he's just he's just a um a telephone pole like outside of a a crappy club with like bad bands every (laughs) week it's just he's got tons of stuff stapled to him uh (laughs) But Uro is probably playable if it's draw a card, put a land in the play. But they stay absolutely. But they stapled three life onto it, Mm -hmm. right? Like so, it not only like you know 
draws you a card and gets you ahead on mana, it also, and we're going to talk about this later, gives, gives you time to get there. But they just stapled, mm-hmm. stapled three mana onto it, or three yep. life onto it, because. Yep. Right? Uh, Rogue Refiner, if we go back a little bit later. So Rogue Refiner was one green-blue for a 3-2, mm-hmm. then entered the battlefield and drew you a card and gave you two energy. Right. That card is probably playable as just one green blue three two draw card well in that format it was also absolutely playable as uh three mana three two get to energy yes but either stapling the energy or stapling the card onto it yeah right gave it more utility than it would otherwise have yeah right so just cards that are giving you something extra when they don't have to Right, this that is kind was of also kind of sneaky good because, like, I didn't see a whole lot of play when it first came out. It was kind of a slow burn. People took a while to warm up to it and realize what yeah. it could do. And just the fact that a three mana three two is not above rate, but usually the like three mana draw card creature is a two two. Yeah. Yep. But just things that have a little bit extra on them that they don't really need to have, mm-hmm. but they but are just there for you know kind of a like a seemingly an unknown reason right like yeah. uh gifted aetherborn could like we talked about it black black for a two three lifelink death touch it would yeah. probably just be fine as a two three lifelink or a two or three two, death, three death. Yeah. right but it since it has death touch it's like secretly a removal spell mm-hmm. but it's also a threat against control yeah. And it's also something that has to be answered against mono red because it gains you to life. Well, it also trades up against a lot of their threats. Yeah. So it does all these little extra things that when you mm-hmm. first look at the card, you don't process it. Oh, it's like, oh, this is a removal spell, a threat, and a way to gain life all yeah, rolled you know up what, into one card. You know another good example of this is? Uh, Thraben Inspector. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, when that card was legal, so white for a 1-2, when it came into play, it made a clue. Right. That might have been, like, in the top two or three best cards in Mardu Vehicles. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, that was the card you always wanted to have in your hand on turn one. Mm-hmm. Right? The So it wasn't just, like, a body that eventually replaced itself. It also gave you an artifact to turn on toolcraft exemplar. Yep. It like was a true late in the game. Yeah. It, it would let you crew things. It just gave you so many extra things that, that you didn't realize. Right. So it could have been a one man, a one, one. Mm-hmm. And that would have been fine. It would have died to, um, shade whirler. Yep. Right. But it was a one, two. So it got to live through chain whirler. I don't know. Like, what you could have given it other than make a clue. Like that was the big part of it. It could have been like an O one, one And I think right. it might've still been playable. Probably. Right. So like just cards that have like a little bit extra tacked onto them. Mm-hmm. Right. And then like, there's like, you like to say secret modes, secret modes. And then you have the clearly, the clearly flexible cards, the cards that are like in your face flexible. Yeah. Right. So a braid, Right, mm-hmm. it kills a creature or an artifact at a rate right. that you're happy paying for either, 
or pretty yeah, I mean, close to a rate you're happy throwing for either. Yeah, neither of them are fantastic, like on the surface. Like, you'd rather play a lightning strike than deal three damage to a creature, and you'd rather pay red. I don't know. Yeah, for red, red to destroy an artifact instead of one in a red. But the fact that you get to choose between either one makes it okay that you're being slightly inefficient at either. And also, when we talk about cyborgs, it's one cyborg card to bring in t- in two matchups. Yeah, you bring yep, it absolutely. in. You bring it in against your artifact matchup, and you also bring it in against your creature matchup. Right. So it just gives you that additional flexibility. Another yep. one that has seen a lot of play, but not as much as I thought it would, was Night of Autumn. This mm-hmm. was the like card I remember saying, like I welcome our best of one overlords, <laughs> right? So. One green white for a two one that can gain you three life when it comes into play. So it's good against burn and it like gives you a blocker. So against burn, it's a two for one, right? It ate one of their one mana deal three spells. Right. Right. And Just, it ate one of their attackers. And it ate an attacker. It was, or it had to be killed with another one yep. of their spells. Right. Yep. Or it can be a four three. So against control, it can just be a threat or against burn going back to burn if they if it's late in the game and they don't have a lot of cards right you play a four three now they can't attack through you anymore right right now it has to trade one for one and it could just buy you turn a turn or two if they don't draw a removal spell right there or early in the game you're like four three yep now you've got to kill this and then it has destroy an artifact or enchantment so it gets to come in against your you know, your artifact or enchantment matchup. It just does a little bit of everything. Yep, it gets to be a Reclamation Sage. Yeah, so Reclamation Sage gets played in older formats. Yep. Right, and gets played whenever it's legal, right? I got a a Reclamation Sage cast against me in Jund the other day. Did you? Mm Mm-hmm. And they blew up my Leyline of Sanctity. Oh, man. Yeah, it's awful. That was mean. Yeah, really mean. (laughs) They Um, probably wanted to kill one of your songs. Probably, (laughs) They they couldn't make me discard any of them. It does, you know, for having a slightly harder mana cost because it's one green white as opposed to two and a green, right? Mm -hmm. It's just naked Reclamation Sage that then just has all this like extra stuff on it where it can kind of do whatever you need it to do. Or Mm -hmm. like a card that didn't get played a lot or at all, like Bedevil. Yeah. That was destroy a creature, destroy a planeswalker, destroy an artifact. Yep. Right? It just gave you so many things you can do. And those cards are super valuable. Yeah. When you can just kind of have them do multiple things because they're less there's less times that they're dead. So they're a card more often. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's- anything that's that's modal is clearly flexible. So anything that says like you know, choose one or choose one or more or choose two or whatever. Like uh, another example is cryptic command. That's like, you know, a control players, you know, dream is cryptic command, right? It does a whole bunch of different things. It catches you up on tempo. It draws you cards. It counterspells. It's like everything that control players want in a card all wrapped up in one and you get to pick two of them. So yeah, all the, all the commands from dragons, Right, like yeah, um, yep. like Kolagon's command. command is the one. Like 
is like deal two to a creature or player. It's like, okay, well, that's usually can be made worth a card. Mm-hmm. Make them discard. Well, that's always worth a card. Right. Or should be. Um, yeah. Destroy an artifact. Well, okay, that can be worth a card. Return a creature from your graveyard to your hand. Well, that's probably, that's a card. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's just always worth two cards because it does two things. You might have to work to get the two cards out of it. Yeah. But it's always worth two cards. So those cards that just have on them do different things or do multiple things are yeah. going to always be worth more than if they just did one of those things because they're just always better mm-hmm. than you would expect. So we wanted to uh, talk about the two spoilers we got, um, I guess, late last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, I think Thursday or Friday. Yeah, that might have been Friday. It was either yeah. Thursday or Friday. And we just, you know, we've talked about the, you know, the different ways to look at cards. And mm-hmm. one of these cards kind of fits into our flexible card slot. It sure does. So do you want to talk about our boy Jace? Sure. This is the new Jace from Zendikar. Uh, Zendikar Rising. Jace Mirror Mage. It's one blue blue for a four, plane, or a four loyalty planeswalker with kicker two. It says, when Jace Mirror Mage enters the battlefield, if Jace was kicked, create a token that's a copy of Jace Mirror Mage, except it's not legendary and its starting loyalty is one. So two Planeswalkers for one card. Right. Okay. What does this Planeswalker do? Five mana, two Planeswalkers. Plus one is Scry 2, and then it has a zero ability that says, draw a card and reveal it, remove a number of loyalty counters equal to that card's converted mana costs, from Jace Mirror Mage. The wording on that is super weird because it's mm-hmm. usually like reveal the card and put it in your hand. Right. Right. But like draw and reveal. Oh, yeah. That is kind of weird. So, like, if you ever get to play in paper with this, make sure you reveal the card before you put it in your hand. I think yeah, that's. It, it probably. There's some stuff from Core 21. Yeah. That like Jar Jorial. Yeah. Right, or um, like Kyrian Dryad. Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a number of things that want you to like draw a second card for the turn. So Jace is worded that way, I'm sure, to yeah. make sure those things work. Yep. So this goes back to like a flexible card where at three mana, it's a four mana planeswalker. Uh, 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 three mana, it's a three mana planeswalker with full loyalty that has okay abilities. They're not super powerful. Yeah, it's probably not something that if it was just three mana with these two abilities, I don't know if it would see play. It probably wouldn't see play. Yeah, like Scry 2 is worth close to a card, but not a whole card. Right. It, it gets more it gets more valuable as the game goes on. Yeah. Right. When you can put when you just want to find spells or a particular mm-hmm. spell and you can just start bottoming stuff. Yeah. And then the zero uh, if you set it up right, you can get a lot of cards off of it, but there's a chance yeah. that you just pay three mana, zero it, and hit a four drop, <laughs> and then you've just drawn a card, and you're like, oh. That was awkward. Yes. The five mana mode, I think, is good, mm-hmm. because you can kind of set it up where, like, if you're just interested in, like, hitting land drops or just raw cards, you take the little copy, Jace, and you plus it. Yeah. And you like put a land on top so you know you hit your next land drop and then you zero the other one. Right. Or like you're you need a wrath. 
right? You need to find Shatter the Sky. So you're like, you play them both and you're like, scry two, scry two to try yeah. to find Wrath of God. Yep. And like, you know, you are getting some advantage from the scry two, even though it's not huge. Right. And so like, you know, the fact that you kind of have to kill both of the planeswalkers mm-hmm. out of one card is kind of crazy. Yeah. And like the scry two is worth something too. Like, I mean, how many games have you played with search for Ascanta? where your opponent just doesn't flip the search because looting every turn is worth more than, you know, having the flip discanta. Or, I mean, think about, like, just Castle Vantress. Like, yeah. in, the, in the Fires matchups, not that, like, ma- mana mattered when you played against Fires, but, like, right. you just felt like you were losing every turn they got to, like, scry to. Right. Like, they paid five mana effectively to scry to, and you're just like, oh, my God, I'm losing so badly to this. <laughs> right? Yeah. And you're just getting to do it every turn for free. Mm-hmm. I heard, I think it's plus Kenobi said this card is either wildly unplayable or busted. Cause yeah, that is nowhere, the, nowhere in between. That is the history of three mana blue planeswalkers. That's true. Right. Well, like, no, I mean like original Jace wasn't wildly unplayable or busted. It was, just it was fine. fine. Narset. Busted. Oh, yeah. Hobo yeah. Jace. Wildly unplayable. Teferi. Yeah. Busted. <laughs> Oko yeah. busted. This is true. Right? Like, is there another three mana planeswalker? I ooh, I guess uncommon Dovin. Well, kind of wildly unplayable. So yeah. like Ashiok is just kind of in the middle though. Ashiok is kind of in the middle. Okay. Okay. Blue black Ashiok. Either one. Either three mana Ashiok. The yeah. the Born of the Theros one or the War of the Spark one. Fine designs. Mm-hmm. Take it. Yeah, I actually forgot about the original Ashiok. I was talking about the War of the Spark one. But yeah, yeah the, both of them are just kind of fine. Yeah. But I worry that like the five mana mode is just mm-hmm. like really good. Especially yeah. like uh when you pair it with like Uro that you're getting the five mana mode on turn four. Yeah. Right now your opponent like has to has to deal with two planeswalkers because now you've set up your next draw. Right. Right, like you feel like awful if your opponent's like scry to bottom, bottom scry to top, bottom. You're like, yeah. Oh man, that card is real good. <laughs> that was the best of four cards. Yeah, I am so screwed. <laughs> yeah. Also, if you're playing against this, I think you always have to kill the copy first. Cause it's easier to kill. Well, imagine you have a murderous rider. Like, mm-hmm. isn't the nightmare scenario you kill the real one and then they play another one and they have three? Oh, yeah. Right? Like, if oh, you, yeah. If you kill the copy, then the one in their hand is only worth one planeswalker. Right. Right? Like, so maybe they get to, like, draw a card. But, mm-hmm. like, it just seems like if you kill the real one, yeah, they just play another one. And then yeah, they have three point. and you're like, oh, no. So yeah, like as, as awkward as it is, like you're like, okay, I'll kill the one with less loyalty mm-hmm. because if you have another one in your hand, I don't want to just like have like Jace tribal <laughs> on the other side yeah. for me. Yeah. And then our other one is a new Nahiri. Yeah. This is Nahiri heir of the ancients. It's two red, white for a four loyalty planeswalker. Uh, This one has three abilities. Plus one, create a 1-1 white 
core warrior creature token. You may attach an equipment you control to it. Nig 2, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a warrior or equipment card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom in a random order. And Neg 3, Nahiri Heir of the Ancients deals damage to target creature or planeswalker equal to twice the number of equipment you control. So this is kind of the planeswalkers we thought we were moving towards when we got Zombie Lily. Right. That was like very narrowly focused on a particular creature type or card type is like Calyx, right? Calyx is like, I want you to play enchantments. Right. Right. Nahiri says, I want you to play equipment. Yeah, equipment and warriors. Mm -hmm. Uh, People pointed out that, I think it was Ari Lax was like, doesn't this just go in every Winota deck? Because apparently Winota's a warrior. Oh, of course she is. And then you have Embercleave to go get? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I forgot Embercleave was a card. I liked that. Someone had mentioned, I think it was like Brian Gottlieb, that he doesn't think of um, Embercleave as an equipment. It's just a fireball. Because <laughs> you play it and your opponent just dies. Right. And it's like, oh, yeah, like you don't think of it as like like equipment. I'm going to get a little bit of advantage. It's like, oh, I'm taking 40. Cool. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like so there could be support for like a warrior deck, but usually these kind of like tribal-centric planeswalkers don't get there or don't get there until standards way bigger. Right. Right. Think about like like Soren got there because we had a really big standard and with a couple different sets that had uh, vampires in it. Yeah, one like two sets that were just all about vampires. Yeah. And then like just any other random vampire that got thrown in mm-hmm. to to standard, right? So like Nahiri is coming into a small standard. Yeah. With I don't feel like there's a bunch of warriors, like that's not a creature type I've looked for. Yeah, I'm not sure. We did look at equipment, and other than Embercleave, there wasn't a ton of equipment. Uh, Shadow Spear is the only other like playable equipment. Yeah. So, they, so, like, this set might or probably does have an equipment theme to it. Yep. As was pointed out, like, those themes are typically not good enough for draft, let alone constructed. Right. So, my first thought was you could see Nahiri as, like, a sideboard card and, like, some okay. sort of, like, red white. Uh, aggressive deck mm-hmm. that played warriors, but like you'd bring in Nahiri as a way to like draw cards against control. Yeah. Right. Or to like draw your Ember Cleave or whatever. But I don't know if she's like main deckable because like she's so narrow. Mm-hmm. Now, if they put like two or three really good equipment in this set, maybe that changes. Yeah. And I, I imagine there's going to be. This yeah. is supposed to be throwback to like original Zendikar where it was adventure world and adventuring parties and stuff. So I imagine there's going to be some equipment in here. Yeah. So hopefully there's a few good things. Also like the art on this card, like the Nahiri and like her, like three or four cards that I have seen her on. Mm -hmm. Right. She looks wildly different, like different ages. Right. Like, like she's like old, like older, more mature and angry which was like her yeah. shtick in like uh, Shadows Block and then um, War of the Spark. Mm-hmm. And like this Nihari looks like she's like 22 and just like, I don't know, <laughs> the happiest she's ever been. 
<laughs> like it's just, it's just wild. Like it's like this does not look like the same character you have given me. Even like was it the Lithomancer, the the white, yeah. like the one from the commander deck? Yeah, like you can kind of tell, but it's like the Lithomancer one is like significantly like more aged in the face. Yeah, it just struck me as like, huh? Like it's like did the person who draw this was like, how old is she? And they're just like, make it up. Okay, cool. <laughs> We don't know. So, there is uh, one more warrior that we didn't talk about. I don't know if anybody else has that is going to be legal and standard. Okay. And that's uh, Hectos. Oh, he's a warrior. He's a warrior, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Man, oh, man. Too bad you could never put an ember cleave on him. <laughs> yeah. Like, ever. I think the rule is if you make a warrior's deck on arena, you yeah. have to make the name of the deck come out and play. <laughs> like it just has to be the, the name of the deck. Yeah. I don't know how many people are going to get that reference though. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> if you don't get it from that movie, the warriors, they also do that same bit in Archer. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, when they're on the the space station, Archer, yeah. come out and play. <laughs> but, but I get to fight with Spacebot. No. Um, yeah, I think that you can, like, I think it's just too narrow. Yeah. Like these kind of planeswalkers are the ones that like think about the core twenty planeswalkers, mm-hmm. right? You had Sarkon that was like, I like dragons. He yeah. didn't get played. You have Lily right. who's like, I like zombies. Didn't get played. Right. Or was that 19? I don't remember. That like, been, I think that was 19. 19. Okay. And then Tezzeret was like, I like artifacts. Didn't get played. Yeah. You had Vivian that's just like, I'm really good. Got played. Right. <laughs> and then a Johnny like, gained some life. No one played that a Johnny. Right. Until like the very end. He was like a cyborg card, like mono white. Yeah. But those really narrow planeswalkers rarely get played. I mean, mm-hmm. if they put a bunch of like busted warriors in the deck in the set, maybe. Mm-hmm. But they have to be like busted. Mm-hmm. So, and it kind of depends on the equipment too. It does. If like someone had mentioned, I think again on the arena deck list, like if they had something like living weapon, which makes is living weapon like as a thing on a non uh, Phyrexian plane is weird. Right. But like if your equipment somehow also turned into like creatures, right? So like yeah. getting an equipment was also getting a thing that could wear an equipment. R- right. But that's what Nahiri does, right? She gives you a thing to wear equipment, but like when you down take well, for and, a, and, and attaches the equipment to it. Yeah. But like, I'm just saying like, if you're like, I guess it seems weird to like get an equipment and then put the equipment on a one, one like equipment usually aren't good enough that putting pants on a one, one, the pants usually aren't big enough. Batter skull's good enough to be on a zero, zero. If they give us batter skull in standard, (laughs) I will, I will eat a Nahiri if they give us batter skull. Well, you know what I mean though? Yeah. Like, like, at what, what what point is it okay for you to have a 1-1 one, one wearing, you know, plus three, plus three with some ability? Like, that might be good. That, that could be good enough. Where where it has to become, like, a threat. It needs to be, like, a 4-4. Four, four, or, yeah. like, a 3-3 three, three with, like, evasion or something. Mm-hmm. Like, plus two, plus two in flying. Okay. 
Like if we got, what if we just got Colossus Hammer? That would be fine. I think you could get away with Colossus Hammer. Because mm-hmm. then you're just making like. 11 11. Yeah, you're plus, you're, you're plus <laughs> wanting to make 11 11s. Yeah. Like that's fine. Like that makes your plus on your Nahiri is worth all of a card. Yeah. Right? Because they have to kill that creature or they have to kill your Coloss- Colossal Hammer or Colossus Hammer or whatever. Right. But if it's just like, or like if they, if it's like a sword, mm-hmm. right? Like if it's three, three, plus two, plus two, and then like, you know, some ridiculous ability. Yeah. But like, they're not going to give us swords. No, they, they won't give us swords. So I think that is pretty much all of the new stuff. We're not going to arena time. There was yeah. not that much arena to time, but. No, not really. And then, uh, like we said, next week, we're going to go into how these uh, ways to look at cards fit into some of the recent design blunders and maybe get into a couple spoilers that we get between now and then. And then the week after should be our set review. So you got that to look forward to coming up. So if you have some things about what a card's worth that you want to ask, you can get us at Casual Tripod. You can hit us up on Facebook at Casual Tryhard MTG. Um, as always, you can drop us an email at show at casualtryhardmtg.com. Don't forget to support us in whatever way you feel like you can, whether it's our TCG Player affiliate link or more directly on Patreon. Like I said, this week we have some pretty good discussion in our Discord this week about some arena-y stuff. Uh, if you want to hop in our Discord, you can do that through the link in the description or the link on our Twitter or the link on Facebook, or you can just get a hold of us and we'll send you a link. Do us a favor and tell your friends about the show. Uh, that helps us out as well. And I think that's it for this week, right? Yeah, I think so. And with that, we'll catch you on the internet. We'll catch you on the internet. <laughs>